This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So debt solution questions, the, the, ones, the questions that get asked all the time, and maybe some that people would like to ask Blair but are a little afraid to. I think this is going to be a great segment. Uh, as, as everybody kind of gets a bit of an insight into what others are thinking, especially if you're sitting on the fence and, and not too sure what next step would be, I think this is going to be great to answer uh, to assist those people who are maybe not sure sure about taking that next step and giving you a call. What do you think? Oh, I totally agree, Elaine. And, you know, having a debt problem is one of those things where you often feel like you're the only person on earth that's, you know, um, let yourself get into this situation or is facing the collection calls or has more debt than they're comfortable with. Um, and I think anyone that's listened to our show or even if it's your first time just needs to realize, you know, uh, debt's become a fact of life uh, for a lot of folks. Um, you know, oftentimes the reasons why someone got into debt have very little to do with bad financial decisions. They have a lot to do with the circumstances of life if something just happened to them, but even if it's completely out of your control, you can still feel alone, feel like you're the only person going through it. So for today, we're going to talk about a lot of questions we're commonly asked, and you know, hopefully some of them will resonate for some of our listeners who might be having you know, a couple of debt questions of their own or have someone in their friends or family or extended network um, who is having some challenges. Now, I know that you don't have them numbered like the number one question, the number 10 question, but this sounds like it's probably the one that get gets asked the most, uh, the best way to handle or settle credit card debts. Yeah, that one, there's very few people that we see that don't have some element of credit card debt in their overall debt picture. You know, there might be the odd person who has just an ICBC accident or just some really bad tax issues, but just about anybody else, credit card debt is pretty well the mainstay of what most people have, uh, and it can be some of the easiest debt to incur. Um, you know, it's quite easy to get approved for credit card, even a first credit card, uh, if you're just coming of age or as a recent immigrant, you know, a lot of banks will want to take a risk of giving you that first credit card. And then once you have that, it's not too tough to get a second, a third or so on and so forth. And the challenge is, you know, it's pretty easy to get approved. But then once you start carrying a balance, the debt can really run away from you. So most credit cards are in the range of 20 to 30% of interest per year, um, which is, you know, just that interest rate on its own, if you did nothing, uh, your debts are going to double every about three years or so. Um, so it can be really something that, you know, you look at your statements one year and things seem, okay, I'm just, you know, making minimums, I'm paying, I'm going to be able to pay this off. And then a couple of years down the road, you just realize all you're doing is servicing interest. So in right. terms of the best way to settle credit card debt, uh, one way that people aren't too aware of is to do what's called a consumer proposal. And the way a consumer proposal works um, is it consolidates virtually all the types of debt that you have. So, you know, including any income taxes or things like that, but definitely your credit card debt and even any payday loans. Um, and it allows you to make monthly payments to pay off what you're able to afford to pay off. 
So for most people, that might be in the range of, you know, 30, 40% of the debt, something in that ballpark. Uh, but it stops all the interest. So the debt stops running away from you. And then you get a monthly payment you can afford to actually clear the balance back down. Um, and you don't need to file for bankruptcy. So it's a better option typically um, than a lot of people will find if they're just trying to make minimum payments on their credit card. The balance doesn't go down because the interest continues to accumulate. Um, but if they're doing a consumer proposal, uh, they get the balance reduced and then they just have to pay off that reduced amount nothing keeps getting added to it each month so it can be pretty life-changing from the perspective of having some hope and optimism of actually getting out of debt now something that we both know is that what might work for one person doesn't necessarily work for another so what's first steps there for someone well, you know, you want to look at all of your options. And, you know, other than a consumer proposal, uh, there could be an option called debt settlement. If you start to look online, you look at debt settlement. You know, sometimes that can seem attractive. And a debt settlement can sound a lot like a consumer proposal in that, you know, you're paying off a reduced amount on the debt. But the issue with debt settlement, and that's why people, you know, start out looking at your options, but, you know, sometimes they can get discounted pretty quickly, is if you're doing what's called debt settlement, you have to have the money up front to pay off a reduced reduced balance. So you might say, you know, you owe $10,000 on your credit card. Okay, I'll pay you $4,000, but I'll give it to you tomorrow. That's how debt settlement would work. Uh, What happens with my clients quite a bit, they say, well, if I had $4,000 kicking around, I probably wouldn't be phoning you. I'd I'd be fine at this point. Um, So debt settlement is something that can sound attractive, but you really need to have that lump sum of money available um, to actually pay off the debt. And that's a big difference with a consumer proposal where you don't need the lump sum of money up front. Uh, you know, another big difference um, is that under a consumer proposal, you get legal protection. So if somebody is calling you, harassing you, threatening to take you to court, or has even started legal proceedings against you, all that gets ground to a halt when you sit down with a trustee uh, and file a consumer proposal. And, you know, the idea is that what's best for one person might not be best for every person. So it really starts uh, with a conversation with a professional, uh, a licensed insolvency trustee, especially at Sands and Associates. We're not going to judge you. We're not here to make you feel bad about a situation you probably already don't feel great about. We're going to listen to your situation, and then we're going to give you some advice on all of the legal options that are available to you. And, you know, if you've got a lump sum of money, okay, we'll talk. Hey, that settlement could be an option. But for the most part, people just find, oh, I didn't even know about a consumer for proposal, and it can be so powerful to restructure all of their debt. What about um, owing government or having government debts? How does one handle that? Yeah, that's another main question that we get. Um, And sometimes it comes with a little bit of an implicit assumption that, my gosh, there's nothing you can do when you owe the government money. You know, you hear it a lot. You know, even in in conversations I'm having, people will say, oh, you're you're a licensed insolvency trustee. I guess it must, you know, really be tough that you can't help people with tax debt. I'm like, well, here's a chance to educate. Uh, When you owe the government money, um, there's a few ways that you can restructure the debt. You know, first off, you can try to negotiate directly with the government, but the best that you're typically going to be able to achieve is they'll say, okay, we're going to keep charging you interest, but how about you pay us off in full in six months as opposed to tomorrow? That's usually the best result that you're going to get. Um, And 
government debt could include things like income taxes, uh, student loans, MSP, or even in BC, ICBC uh, balances. You know, if you were in an accident and then denied coverage, you know, that balance can be so significant. Uh, But the good news is that there are two options that are available that can help you deal with any type of government debt. Um, So one is the consumer proposal that we've just talked about. Uh, That can cut down government debts exactly the same way that it cuts down credit cards, lines of credit, um, anything else like that. And what's really powerful also uh, with a consumer proposal is two things. You know, one um, is it's the only method that you can use to actually reduce government debt. Um, So, you know, they're not going to make a deal with you to accept 30 to 50 percent of the balance. But if you do it with a consumer proposal, quite often they will make a deal. And the other aspect, it's also the case if you owe a number of people money and government debt is just one portion of that, all you need to get a consumer proposal approved is 50% by dollar value of the people that you owe money to to say yes. So if you owed the government $10,000, but you owed Visa and MasterCard $11,000, for example, as long as Visa and MasterCard said yes to your proposal, it wouldn't matter if the government wanted more money or didn't want to participate in the proposal. They're automatically bound to be part of that proposal because it's been accepted by the majority of creditors. So it can be a really powerful option uh, to help with government debt. So that's one way to deal with government debt. Um, The other way uh, is to consider filing for a personal bankruptcy. And again, this is a last resort, so you want to exhaust that if a proposal won't work for you. But oftentimes I have people come in, they might have had a tax debt for just years and years, they're just not able to pay it off, or there might have been an ICBC accident where literally it's a hundred or $200,000 is their liability that's been assessed. You know, in those cases, based on income, even paying off, you know, 20 or 30% of the balance might not be possible. So when you file for bankruptcy, bankruptcy serves to get you back to zero, to owing nobody anything. And there are very few debts that can't be included in a bankruptcy, you know, things like child support, spousal support, but typical government debts can be included if you file for personal bankruptcy. So if you have that misconception, you can go bankrupt on everything else, but you can't go bankrupt on the government. Well, let's dispel that right away. You absolutely can uh, deal with government debt uh, through a personal bankruptcy proceeding. I just want to throw in here, too, that uh, it's really important for folks to realize or know, possibly for the first time, that only a licensed insolvency trustee can help you set up and navigate through a personal bankruptcy. That's why it's so important to be, one, listening to this segment, which is a great one, but also call Sands & Associates if you want that, if you want that assistance, even as a first step, just to talk to somebody about it. And I'll give you the phone number. It's one 800 661 or you can visit the website as well at sands-trustee.com. Now, I know, Blair, that we've talked about all kinds of myths and misconceptions around personal bankruptcy. Can you share a couple of questions related or, or the ones that get asked all the time about bankruptcy when you're talking to folks? Yeah, you know, a lot of times people are wondering, well, what happens with my assets if I file for bankruptcy? You know, a lot of people think you file for bankruptcy, that means you're losing everything. The trustee shows up at your house, starts carting off your furniture, uh, you know, puts a red tag on your door to let everybody know that you've been bankrupt. Uh, None of that is true. So for the vast majority of personal bankruptcy filings, really nothing happens to your assets. 
Um, the reason for that is the philosophy of a bankruptcy is to get you back to the point where you can be a productive member of society, um, you can start a business, you can work and get your wages, um, and it wouldn't serve anybody if you're literally taking everybody's, you know, means of supporting themselves, you know, furniture to sit on, tools of trade uh, to earn income from. So there's provincial legislation, and it varies a little bit province to province, uh, but in BC, there includes some exemptions, which means if you file for bankruptcy, you're able to keep these assets for things like equity in a vehicle. So if you have a vehicle, uh, whether there's a loan against it or not, there's a certain value you're allowed to have. It's up to $5,000 in the province of BC. So if you file for bankruptcy and your car is worth less than that, uh, or your equity in that vehicle after you deduct the loan is less than that, nothing happens to your vehicle. You just keep either making the payments or you just hold on to the vehicle. You don't have to sell it. Uh, there's an exemption for equity in your home, which most people don't know. They think that automatically, if you file for bankruptcy, well, you're going to lose your home. Absolutely not true. It's actually been a couple of years now um, since I've been involved in a bankruptcy where we've had to sell somebody's home. And the reason for that is for every person that's on title, so if it's a husband and wife, it's multiplied by two, uh, you're allowed up to $12,000 of equity after we deduct real estate commissions and legal costs of a hypothetical sale. So for most people, they've got a house where the mortgage is almost similar to what the house is worth, or maybe they've taken out some lines of credit against the value of the house. Um, so if you go into bankruptcy, as long as you don't have you know tons and tons of equity, um, you're going to be able to retain that home. And usually if you did have tons and tons of equity, you would have already tried to refinance to pay off the debts. Uh, there's an exemption for RRSPs. So if you're putting money to save for retirement, the worst thing you can do is to pull that money out to pay your debts because you're going to get hit with a tax bill and then you're not going to have that money available when you actually need it. And it's something that even if you were sued for debts, uh, it could never be taken from you. So there's a real large number of items, things like your household furniture, your clothing, your medical aids. Uh, we talked about tools of the trades. So the vast majority of cases, people generally don't lose any assets if they go through a bankruptcy but they are able to be discharged from their debt. Such a great uh, uh, resource for people. Check out the website, sands-trustee.com. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So this is a great segment. If you're thinking about some sort of debt consolidation, Blair has narrowed it down. There's three very important things that you should know about debt consolidation before you jump in with with both feet. And I think this is a perfect case of what you don't know can cost you. And in, in considering these three things, it can sometimes cost people a lot, which is sort of the exact opposite of what they really want to do looking at debt consolidation. So like, can we talk about the benefits first? Because it sounds like a good idea. Yeah, absolutely, Elaine. And debt consolidation is often one of the first options people consider uh, when they're thinking about their debts or trying to manage their debts a little bit better. Uh, and what we mean by debt consolidation and the benefits of it are that you're making a simple single monthly payment to cover all of your debts. So instead of, you know, five or different five or so different debts, different cards, different interest rates. You're just making one single payment to one lender. So things are more simple. Um, and the benefit also is that you're repaying typically a lower interest rate than what you're being charged for your various debts. 
So, you know, you might have credit cards sitting at 20% or 30% or maybe a payday loan, which is just so obscene we won't even quote about it. Uh, But when you consolidate your debts together, the idea is you're going to pay one payment and it's going to be a reduced interest rate. Uh, And then the last idea there is debt consolidation is meant to give you a plan to eventually be out of debt. So you try not to consolidate your debts with the idea you're going to pay this off forever. You do it over a specified term. So, you know, sometimes with a bank, it can be a seven or eight year monthly payment. Uh, Sometimes it can be quicker than that. Uh, But the idea that you're going to have a plan for paying off your debt instead of perhaps just treading treading water each month uh, and just making minimum payments on a bunch of bunch of debts that just don't seem to go down. So it sounds a bit challenging to me just because I'm sort of, you know, thinking, wanting the easiest way or the most efficient way of doing it. And that sounds pretty challenging. Well, it can be. And the thing to keep in mind is what I've described with debt consolidation. There's a number of ways to get at it. And some of them are much easier to do than others. You know, most of the time when people think about debt consolidation, they think about going to the bank and getting a bank consolidation loan. And what that means is a bank or a credit union or a finance company, they're going to give you all the funds to pay off all of your outstanding debts. So they're going to do it for you. And then they're going to take all that balance and put it into one new loan for yourself. So that's one option for people to consider. Uh, you know, another option is called a home equity consolidation loan. So, you know, if your house has went up in value and you've been paying down your mortgage, uh, a lot of times this is called refinancing your mortgage or taking out a second mortgage. It's where you're borrowing against the equity in your home, again, to pay off all of the other debts. Um, and then the last one uh, where you consider when you consider borrowing to consolidate is doing a balance transfer. So, you know, maybe you've got an, off, an offer on a credit card where the interest rate might be zero for a period of time or might be a lower interest rate, and you try to consolidate a bunch of debts together. Now, sometimes that can work um, if the debts aren't so significant, um, but, you know, it's something you got to be careful of, too, because there can be transaction costs. Even the 0% often charges, you know, a 1% to 3% transaction fee, so you do have to be a bit careful with that. Got it. Can you consolidate your debts without borrowing money? Oh, I'm so pleased that you asked because you absolutely can. <laughs> and, and a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people think when it's debt consolidation, that means I must borrow and I must pay everything else off. But there's actually two ways that you can consolidate your debts without borrowing, and they are really quite different. So the first one is if you chose to work with a credit counselor, uh, you're able to consolidate certain types of debt. So what it means is you'll repay 100% of your debt, uh, but usually you'll be able to save the interest. Now, it can work for bank debt, you know, credit cards and things like that. It can't work for government debt. And you have to realize you actually got to be able to pay off 100% of the debt. And there's going to be some fees on top of that. So even if it's a not-for-profit credit counselor, you're going to pay some extra fees. Uh, and keep in mind, it may not cover all of your debts. But absolutely, without borrowing, a credit counseling plan can be something for you to consider. Uh, another option that I definitely recommend anybody if they're going to consider credit counseling uh, is to really take a look at a consumer proposal as well because it's actually going to have the same credit rating impact as if you had paid off all of your debts doing a credit counseling plan. But instead of just saving the interest, you're actually going to get a discount in just about every case, a significant discount on the principle of what you owe. So a trustee has the power because we're legally uh, licensed and able to use legislation to actually reduce the debts down to what you can afford with the unpaid balance getting written off by law. And a consumer proposal can include everything like government debt, uh, income taxes, student loans, as well as your typical uh, credit card debt, so on and so forth. And what's even more powerful as well, or maybe equally powerful, you know, you get the interest stopped, you get the balance reduced, but you actually don't pay any additional fees. 
So if you decide you're able to pay off a third of the debt and that's all you can afford to pay off, that's all that you pay. The trustee doesn't charge you any fees on top of that. There's a government tariff that says when that person makes that repayment, the trustee gets a portion for cost of administration. The balance goes out to the creditors, but there's no cost directly to the individual. So it's the difference of paying off all of your debt plus fees or interest um, compared to paying off what you can afford with no interest and no additional fees. So I'd like to throw in at this point, too, if that sounds like the route you want to take, talking to a licensed insolvency trustee, that's what this show is all about. Uh, go see Sands & Associates. They've got a 1-800 number. It's 1-800-661-3030. Or go to their website, sands-trustee.com. It's uh, just filled with great questions and good answers, pages of them, uh, to help you figure out what your next steps will be. What do you think the next key thing for consumers to be aware of when it when it's consolidating a debt, Blair, that, you, that we want to make sure that we mention in this segment? Yeah, I think a couple of things to highlight. So, you know, just under the idea that details can make or break the deal. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's when you start to really dig down, uh, a lot of people that come to see me, uh, they've tried to consolidate debt through the bank and they've been turned down. So it can be really difficult uh, to get approved for a bank consolidation loan because the bank is taking a risk. They're paying off all of your other debts. Uh, they're hoping you're going to pay them back. But, you know, what if you're not able to? And sometimes you might think, well, does the bank know something, actually? Because if they look at my budget and they're not comfortable that I can pay off this debt, is this actually going to be a good outcome for me or not? And what you need to be careful of as well is that you don't start going and getting a co-signer, uh, suddenly enlarging your debt problem. You know, if you owed all the money just yourself, but then you consolidate it, and you've got, you know, uh, mom or dad or brother or sister to sign on the dotted line as well. You just brought them into your debt situation. And if it's the case where you can't pay everything back in full, they're going to be on the hook 100% of that debt that you can't pay. So be very careful if you're thinking about getting a co-signer. Um, you know, one other thing to consider is just what's the payment's going to be and how affordable is it? Um, so if you had, say, $20,000 of debt that you had to consolidate, um, you know, the minimum payments on that might be so significant, you know, over $1,000 a month. Um, if you did a consolidation loan, you know, typically at 12% interest rate, you'd pay about $665 a month over three years. So it's better than what you were doing. You save the interest and you'll be out of debt in three years. But if you compare that with a consumer proposal, you know, the scenario I put together here, a consumer proposal, you know, you might repay 40% of that debt. Uh, that would be a monthly payment of $220 um, over three years. So about a third of what you might pay uh, if you were able to qualify for a bank consolidation loan. And as we often talk about, you know, a consumer proposal is not a bankruptcy. It's not going to reflect as severely on your credit. Uh, it's going to be, you know, your means of restructuring yourself so that you can avoid a bankruptcy that might be coming down the pipe in the future if you don't deal with it. I know it's not lost on you, Blair, that this is, there's a lot of information for people to figure out and, and understand and, and research a little bit. And I just can't help, um, but suggest, uh, for folks to make that appointment with you and with Sands and Associates to sit down and really discuss all your options because there's so many options. Uh, and like I said, I know it's not lost on you. Yeah, absolutely. When someone sits down with us, they don't get the high pressure sales. They get the idea of here's all the options here, how they're going to impact you. Now, we want to see people get out of debt to deal with their debt stress. So it's a free consultation. Um, Most of the time I hear people say they wish they had called sooner. So if you're out there suffering with debt, just give a call. We'd, We'd love to help you explore your options. 
and I'll give you that phone number. It's 1-800-661-3030. Go to the website as well, sands-trustee.com, uh, just filled with all kinds of questions and answers uh, that you're probably searching for if that makes you feel better before you make the call to sit down with them. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Bankruptcy is nowhere near as bad as you probably think it is. And I think that's a fascinating quote to start this segment. And I, I got to say, I didn't come up with it. This is courtesy of you, Blair. Um, mm -hmm. And we're looking at positive takeaways from filing a bankruptcy. And, and this is going to be interesting because we have to admit that that's not the first thing that people think about. Yeah, absolutely, Elaine. And bankruptcy shouldn't be the first thing that comes to your mind if you have a debt problem. You know, it is a, it's a serious legal proceeding, uh, but quite often we have these ingrained, you know, misconceptions or myths or or just feelings that, oh my God, I can never look towards that option. All it's going to do is, you know, have lifelong consequences. And that's actually not true. You know, in many ways, bankruptcy is your reset. It's the chance for you to start over, to start again, unburdened by what's happened to you in the past. And there's a lot of really positive aspects uh, that when you file a bankruptcy, it can be really good if someone's feeling a little despondent and thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, this is something I don't want to do. But to look at the positive side, there's a lot of benefits that would happen uh, if you do choose to take that next step. And I was happy to to um, sort of really study this segment a little bit. And I love the fact that you've started off with some really good stats, because the number one thing is, right, people feel so alone, like, oh, mm -hmm. nobody's in the same situation. But in fact, it's not as unusual as you may think it is. And that's pretty much just based on your own fears. Yeah, that's exactly right, Elaine. So, you know, the actual hard numbers. So uh, every year in Canada, it's about 4.6 people out of every thousand Canadians uh, filed for insolvency. So that's the last year the statistics were available. So in 2019, and in terms of the number of people, it was over 137,000 uh, Canadians last year chose to file for insolvency and 40% of them chose to file for bankruptcy. 60% chose to file a consumer proposal, which is a special type of debt consolidation. You reduce the balances, you save the interest, and you avoid a bankruptcy. Uh, but almost 140,000 individuals in Canada, so that's far from somebody who should feel alone. Uh, yeah. Within BC, it was about 11,000 consumers uh, during that period uh, chose to file for bankruptcy or did a consumer proposal. And it was actually more of a significant shift uh, than, than in the Canada as a whole. 7,000 of those 11,000 BC consumers chose to file consumer proposals. So, you know, it's upwards of two-thirds of individuals are pretty close on that, uh, are dealing with their debts by filing consumer proposals. And I think it's because they're listening to dollars and cents. Don't you think so, Blair? <laughs> oh, I would hope so. I would hope we're having some impact. And, and yeah. we joke a little, but it's one of the most gratifying parts of my day when I do get a call from a listener who says, I've been listening for a long time. I felt comfortable to phone in um, just because, Elaine, they say the approach that we take, which is, um, you know, it's not here to judge. It's here to give good information and to realize debt is a problem like any other. Um, to me, there's not a big morality component to it. Most people have been honest, but unfortunate, and they just need the right facts and the right help so that they can move forward. 
And that's the difference between everybody else and a licensed insolvency trustee. And I know you've got some good points to make. Uh, and just reminders for folks, if you go licensed insolvency trustee, what the heck is that? You can tell us. Yeah, well, a licensed insolvency trustee is the only person that's empowered in Canada to help you restructure your debts using the law. So a licensed insolvency trustee is an independent, unbiased um, officer who's able to give you a free consultation, so you're not going to pay anything to figure out your options. You don't need a referral from anybody, so sometimes an accountant will phone us up with a client, but that's in the minority. Most of the time, it's people just giving us a call uh, because they're having a tough time. And if you work with a trustee, there's a strict code of ethics, there's standards of professional practice, and everything that you pay is set by a government tariff. So you don't need to worry about negotiating a fee and your neighbor getting a better deal than you. Uh, Everything is set within the law. It's supposed to be you can breathe a sigh of relief when you sit down with a trustee that you're getting everything that you need right from the best source possible. Now, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, cause, uh, consumer proposals, bankruptcy, all of those are, are really uh, important elements to think about. Uh, but we know that there's a lot of myths out there about bankruptcy or the, about the overall process of bankruptcy that you see mm-hmm. that people really get concerned about. Yeah, I think let's hit dead on or you know straight on into the myths of bankruptcy because a lot of these will stop people from making a call when they really could get help, but they've just got some misconceptions in their mind. Uh, you know, the first one is the idea of privacy. So a lot of people really think, oh my gosh, bankruptcy is a highly public process. There's going to be a notice in the newspaper. Everyone's going to know about it. Uh, the answer is quite the opposite. So if you see a bankruptcy notice in the newspaper, it's because it fell into, you know, maybe the 0.1% of bankruptcies where there's significant assets that have to be sold, you know, in a public way. But the vast majority of cases, well over 99% of the cases that we deal with, there's no notice that goes in the newspaper. If someone Googles an individual's name plus bankruptcy, it's not going to show up. And the only people that are notified of a bankruptcy are the people that have to know, which is the people that you owe money to, just so they can be told to back off and to deal with the trustee instead. Uh, an employer isn't noticed, isn't notified uh, as a matter of course. Now, if your wages are being seized because you've already been sued and your employer is aware there's a debt problem because they're having to send a third of your paycheck to a creditor, of course, the trustee is going to get in touch and say, okay, employer, you can now give that person back 100% of their wages. Uh, but there's nothing that you need to be worried about from a privacy point of view. You can't be disciplined. You can't be terminated just because you filed a bankruptcy. And typically, the only people that know are your creditors, the trustee, and then obviously yourself and who you you choose to tell. And sometimes people find the relief is just so dramatic. Now, people are asking, well, how are you so different than you were a few months ago? And they say, well, I was dealing with Sands and Associates. And uh, and that's a big source of work for us as people, friends and family uh, who can just see such a dramatic change when someone deals with their debt problem. I'm sure uh, another big element or impact of that people sort of have in their heads about bankruptcy is that permanence, that I will forever be branded, this will forever sort of dog me from here on in. And I don't think mm-hmm. that that's true. No, and that's a frustrating one for me, Elaine, because I can see often, um, you know, in some, you know, newspaper columns or advertisements from you know, various other financial professionals, they say, you know, avoid the permanent impact of bankruptcy. And well, in most cases, there is no permanent impact of bankruptcy. Uh, what happens when you finish a bankruptcy is from the day that you're discharged, which can be as soon as nine months from the day that you file. So we're not talking 10 years of proceedings here. From the day that you're discharged, if somebody pulls a credit bureau for the next six years, they're going to see there was a bankruptcy noted. Now, you have the right to put some verbiage on there, a notation saying what were the circumstances. 
And most people find they can still rebuild their credit to quite a solid situation within two to three years of a bankruptcy being finished, even qualifying for mortgages, getting offers of credit. So even though the bankruptcy is noted on there for six years, you don't need to wait those six years. You're not untouchable for that period of time. And then after those six years are finished, someone pulls a credit bureau, that bankruptcy is just not going to be there. So the only permanent impact would be, you know, if you choose to tell everybody, well, for the rest of your life, yeah, I filed the bankruptcy. But for the most part, if they pull a credit bureau, it's going to be clean six years after your discharge. And if you've done the right step to rebuild your credit, even two to three years out, you probably got a better credit rating than when you started the proceeding. And my gosh, you're without all of your debt as well. So imagine what a different feeling that is. That'd be enormous to somebody's uh, just general well-being for sure. What about, are there people that are concerned or are there is there a thought out there that there's some severe consequences to going into a bankruptcy? Yeah, a lot of people think, well, I'm in really dire financial straits now, but my gosh, it's just going to be worse if I have to file for bankruptcy. And the big thing they're worried about is the idea of losing all of their assets. So any of our regular listeners would know if you file for bankruptcy, just about everybody keeps just about everything that they own. So there's provincial exemptions for your furniture, for your clothing, for your RRSPs, for your tools of the trade. You know, quite often people are in a more protected situation under a bankruptcy proceeding because people can't call them, harass them, or trying to take to court uh, to seize any of those assets. Um, so going into bankruptcy doesn't mean that you lose your assets. Now, you know, certain things, if you've got a yacht sitting at the marina that's got no loan against it, you might have to sell that to pay your debts. But I've never had a client like that. Most of the time when people are considering a bankruptcy situation, it's because they've exhausted every other option to pay their debts. And what they're worried about losing is the really core personal assets, again, the furniture, the clothing, the tools of the trade, which bankruptcy actually puts them in a better position um, to, to retain than if they had not filed. I'd like to suggest at this point, too, if anything that we've been talking about kind of resonates with you, you think, oh, boy, I yeah, I thought that or I'm considering that, but I don't want to do this. Go and talk to someone at Sands and Associates. It's so easy to do. Their number is 1-800-661-3030. They're happy uh, to sit and talk with you. I know you do a lot of your work virtually, of course, uh, or check out their website, which is terrific, sands-trustee.com. I know that people, all kinds of situations that people are in, uh, are, are there some sort of usual ones that the that you can say, oh, I've talked to a couple of people like that this week who are in this situation uh, when they're considering bankruptcy? Oh, absolutely, Elaine. I've got a lot of research, um, you know, to, to back this up as well. So, um, you know, if anybody's listening, if they go to our website, sans-trustee.com and click on our debt study, uh, we survey our clients every year. We get really good insights on what they were facing and what caused them to have to reach out to us. And again, oftentimes, it's just the circumstances of life that have happened. So a lot of people, first off, it's a myth that everyone's credit, um, you know, is in the doldrums before they file for bankruptcy. A lot of people still have a great credit rating because all you need to do to keep a great credit rating is just keep all your minimum payments up to date, regardless of whether you pay it from one card to pay another and you're no better off. So there's no requirement that you're actually delinquent on your debt, that you've been sued, uh, anything like that. You just need to make the decision um, that you know you're not going to be able to pay these debts off. So, you know, upwards of 70% of people who file for bankruptcy actually have never missed a payment. They just look at the overall situation and realize they're doing nothing every month that's making themselves better off. They need to, you know, uh, click stop on that life and start on a new one. 
In terms of the circumstances that bring people to us, 37% of people, and this is the largest proportion by far, it's a loss of income. So maybe things were going great and then their company had to shut down um, or, you know, their spouse had lost their job or, um, you know, in addition to the family, something like that that really impacted the income or even just getting into retirement. You know, they had continued to accumulate debt and then suddenly they're on a pension, which might be half of what they were getting before. So loss of income is the most significant reason that brings people to us. Uh, the second reason, this is about one in four people or close on 23%, is medical reasons. So, you know, through no fault of their own, they just got sick, a spouse or a family member got sick. And as much as our health care is theoretically free in Canada, there's nothing that replaces the income that you've lost. And perhaps there's some extra costs that just aren't absorbed by any benefits that you might have. Uh, the last of the three biggest ones that we see is relationship breakdown. Um, so in the situations where a couple is splitting up or a family is having uh, to now establish two houses as opposed to one, um, that can just be quite detrimental. And quite often when the relationship is on really rocky ground, um, you know, the finances aren't the top of mind and people maybe haven't been managing as closely as they wanted to. So relationship breakdown is the other, you know, of the, of the top three causes here. Now, do you want to mention, because we're just about out of time in the segment, the po a positive outcome, a helpful solution that comes from bankruptcy? Yeah, I think, Elaine, a couple key things is bankruptcy is going to deal with virtually any type of debt, whether it's credit card debt, income tax, student loans. It's going to deal with these debts for good. So it's a permanent solution, and it's going to give you breathing room in your monthly budget. It's going to allow you your bankruptcy payment is typically going to be a lot less than what you were scrounging to pay each month on your debts, and you've got an end date. The bankruptcy is going to last for 9 to 21 months, and at the end of that, you're going to have all the debt left behind. Lots of great reasons to give them a call. 1-800-661-3030. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. There's so many aspects of uh, things that affect people when they start looking at their finances and realize, yes, I'm in debt. Yes, I need to take some action. And this is a great segment. It's called Risky Debts Ranked. So it's about getting really good insights on debts to avoid carrying. So let's say you've got A, B, and C, but it's D and E that are really going to, uh, really going to impact you. And of course, we all know being debt free is always the goal, but you know, it's a tough, it, we're in tough times right now and, and there's no saying when this is all going to end. So it's really a good segment, uh, Blair, to talk about, uh, ways to try to avoid taking on some kinds of debts. Yeah, exactly, Elaine. So, you know, for a lot of people, debt is a fact of life. And at different parts in your life, um, you're going to need to incur some debt, you know, just to achieve some goals, which we're going to talk about for many people anyway, depending on the family support they have. But for most people, uh, they're going to be needing to incur some debt. But it really is the case. Not all debts are created equal. Um, there's some debt that we can classify, maybe it's an overused term, but good debt versus bad debt. Uh, and there's some debt that's just plain ugly that you just really want to avoid uh, under any circumstances if you you can. So we're going to go through a bunch of categories of debt today and, let, and let's talk about the good to begin with. Yeah, the good. What is, what's probably the number one good debt to have? 
Well, now this can seem a little counterintuitive, but a mortgage typically is good debt. So you hear sometimes people are overextended on their mortgages or they've borrowed too much. Uh, but in the lower mainland or in most of BC, uh, it's pretty rare for somebody who's taken on a mortgage in the last, you know, five, 10, even 20 years for that not to have been a good investment. Uh, the idea of good debt is that you've got an asset that underlies the debt. So if you have a mortgage every month when you're making a mortgage payment, you're essentially purchasing more and more of that asset back from the bank, so to speak. So it's not money that you're throwing away. Uh, it's not money that's going on, say, a credit card bill for interest. Uh, it's money where there's actually an underlying benefit, which is the house there that ideally um, you're going to build up some equity over time. And, you know, housing is a basic necessity. You know, most people need somewhere to live. Um, so it can be risky if you take on too much of a mortgage and, you know, you're house rich but cash poor and you eventually can't make the mortgage payments. But as long as you manage the mortgage to the point where it's a reasonable proportion of your income, um, you know, mortgage debt can be good good debt, uh, because again, you're investing in something for the future. Uh, you know, another one that's really analogous to this is a student loan. Now, again, you hear a lot of people are overextended on student loans, their student loans are too high. But the idea is when you're do getting a student loan, uh, you're investing in your own productive capacity. So your income earning capacity should be that much higher uh, by going, whether it's to university, college, trade school, whatever it might be, that making that investment, the underlying asset that should appreciate in value over time is literally you. So the idea of investing in yourself, uh, you know, that should typically be good debt, uh, but you've got to be careful that, you know, you're not incurring such significant student loans over such a long enough period that your income is just never going to catch up. So the program of study that you take will be important. And also finishing that program of study, because, you know, getting three quarters of the way through a program, but not getting the credential at the end, you might never get that income bump, which would allow you to actually service the student loan that you've incurred. So mortgages, student loans all fall under the good category. What are the riskier ones or the potentially riskier ones? Yeah, a couple that we're seeing more and more. Um, first one is long-term vehicle financing. So if you go back 15 or 20 years, it was pretty rare for most people to finance a vehicle over more more than three, four, maybe five years on the outset. Uh, what we're seeing now is most of the time, the shortest terms are around five years. We're seeing even seven or eight-year financing terms. So oftentimes what happens is you make an unaffordable vehicle affordable simply by stretching out the financing terms. And sometimes by dividing the payment where a monthly payment might seem high, uh, you do it on a biweekly basis because it's just a lower number, but, you know, it's just a psychological difference. You know, you're actually still paying a significantly, you know, higher monthly payment perhaps than what you can afford, even if um, you are paying it on a biweekly basis. And the thing with a car, with just about any car that I've ever seen, is it depreciates and it depreciates <laughs> quite rapidly. Um, so quite often people are what's called underwater on their vehicle loans, almost from the day they drive off the lot. And that means they might have bought the car for, say, $25,000. Uh, a month later, the car is worth $20,000, but they still owe twenty-five dollars or even, say, $30,000 if you put in all the interest on the loan. So it's a negative equity situation uh, where they're paying off a debt where the asset underlying it is actually worth less and less over time. Uh, when you also add in the cost of maintenance, of ICBC, of insurance, everything like that, you know, long-term vehicle financing, that can be something that's just an anchor that can really draw, uh, you know, drag somebody down with their overall finances. Sometimes I see people with a third of their income going to a vehicle cost each month. And, you know, sometimes that can be eye-opening when you add up all the costs and say, well, you know, is that really that important to you or do you have any other alternatives here? 
whether it's taking transit or just buying an older car that doesn't have a payment against it. Got it. Now, I know that we talk about credit cards all the time, and they are a pretty risky debt to take on. And is that mainly because of the interest rate that we're talking about here? Yeah, two, two quick points, Links. I know we touch on credit cards a lot. You know, one is the interest rate. So, you know, even $6,000 on a credit card can be 40 years of payments at the minimum level, um, just, you know, if you're just making the minimums each month. So that's incredibly long term. You're just making the bank a lot of money then and not yourself. But the other thing is just about every credit card debt that I see, there's nothing to show for it at the end of the day. You know, it's just right. been used to fill a budgetary gap uh, or for something that was fleeting and not enduring. So it's usually debt where you can't point to any ongoing benefit, uh, but you're still being held accountable for the past. Got it. So I want to mention, too, if this information is sort of ringing that quiet alarm in the back of your head as you're listening to the facts about credit card debt, give Sands & Associates a call. It's 1-800-661-3030 or visit their website, sands-trustee.com. So what do you think the debts, what debts are the most risky for consumers to be carrying these days? Yeah, absolutely. Near the top of that list, Elaine, is payday loans. Um, so payday loans, uh, again, kind of similar to credit cards. They're easy to get. You know, anybody can walk in to pick one of those money store lenders uh, and you can walk out if you've got a paycheck with some advance on that. But the amount of fees that you have to pay, it can be north of 500% if you add up all the interest, all the fees over time. And typically it creates a vicious cycle where it's not just one payday loan. You need a second to pay back the first, and then you reborrow the first, and then there's a third I see people sometimes juggling up to 10 different payday loans, different due dates, and it becomes no kind of way to exist. So payday loans, they typically one breeds another, and it's such high-cost financing that, you know, if you're getting it because you think you're going to be late on your rent, a better option is to go to your landlord if it's just the first time, sit down with them, tell them, here's one you can pay. You might be amazed how quickly people will accommodate rather than see you having to go at 500% interest rate to borrow some money. Oh boy, 500%. That's crazy. Um, I can't imagine holding a lot of government debt. Money that you owe the government is a good idea anytime. No, and that's, that's a really uncomfortable situation to be in because a lot of our, a lot of us as Canadians, you know, we want to be compliant, want to file our taxes every year. When you get the assessment back, it says you owe some money. Uh, you can be a little bit frantic about what the government can do. Um, and it's actually, it's a well-placed worry because the government has the ability without much notice to you and without having to go to court to suddenly start to seize your wages up to 30% they can take um, to seize your assets. If you had, you know, money in the bank or even some real estate, they can go on title. So it's debt that you you just can't ignore. And if you think, okay, you're staying under the radar by not filing your taxes, you're absolutely not doing that. The government knows. They've got all the information as well. They're able to estimate your tax liabilities. And if you go long enough, they'll just file your taxes for you and give you a big number that's probably higher than it would have been if you had actually acted to file. Yeah. I want to zoom ahead just a little bit, Blair, because I know we've got um, other uh, sort of elements of this discussion, but I can't help think that people must start to feel something when they start looking, taking a breath and looking at the monies that they owe and the debt that they're carrying uh, and how important that process is to start feeling and, and what are the questions you should be asking yourself? Yeah, absolutely, Elena. And that's the idea is if you're feeling uncomfortable about your debt, that usually means you're at least ready to have a conversation with a professional. And it might be, oh, you're actually doing okay. Your worry is misplaced. But I have very few of those conversations. You know, typically it's, yeah, I'm happy you called. Wish you called a bit sooner. But, you know, key questions for people to ask is, are you feeling worried or anxious about your debt balances? 
you know, every month is it the case, oh my gosh, I don't want to open this envelope, and maybe you, you've even stopped doing that. Um, you know, a second question is, are you ignoring or avoiding looking at your overall financial picture? So does the idea of sitting down and adding everything up, you know, just, just kind of put the, put the fear in you? And the last is, are you experiencing debt stress? You know, do you feel worried? Do you feel anxious? Give uh, Sands and Associates a call, 1-800-661-3030. Get that first free consultation. Find an office near you. Check out their website as well. It's sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.